object to the tits. You're listening to the Game from the Silver Screen. I'm Josh, and with me, as always, is Damien. How you doing, Damien? I'm jacked to the tits, man. How are you? I'm, I'm jacked. I'm well jacked. So you're jacked, and I'm jacked, and well, you All know, everyone's up. jacked. Well, we're recording this at 10.30 on a Thursday night. I'd say, like, sizable population is probably jacking. And off we go. <laughs> and, now we're, and now we're on our way. Uh, it's good to be back. Another week. Another film. Another week. Another film. We're hitting our stride now. Yeah, we're getting into it. We're, we're Episode edging six. Closer to the uh, closer to one o. Mm, well, we can there. round up now. Yeah, we're moving towards it. Yeah, exactly. That's the kind of like you know false mathematical brevity that allows us to segue perfectly into this week's film. You're regular. The Big Short, directed by Adam McKay. Hell yeah. Yeah, do, yeah, and then written by uh, Charles Randolph and Adam McKay. Absolutely. Based so. on the book by Michael Lewis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. And it is the thrilling tale of the collapse of our global economy back in 2008. Oh, what a time to be alive. Yeah, and it is something that like we all lived through. Mm. If you're listening to this and you didn't live through it, what? Why? What made you listen to this? How could they listen to it if they didn't live through it? Oh, you mean metaphorically. Sorry, I just I thought you meant like if they died. <laughs> if you're and... de- if you <laughs> if you're dead, please call in now. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm I'm not going to prejudice uh, living impaired listeners. That would be a mistake on our behalf. Indeed. You know, let no stone be unturned when it comes to uh, seizing upon subscribers. Mm. I was I was merely meaning our uh, our seven year old listeners. Of course, yes, because you know how um, that demographic is actually our highest growing one at the moment. God knows why. Well, yeah, they've they they eaten their well, greens I mean, <laughs> and they're growing strong. They're young enough that you know they think Nazis are cool, and we're telling them otherwise. We need yeah. to let them know these things. Otherwise, they lack context. We are bringing the truth back to the preteen audience. The time of dalliance and happiness is over, children. It's not all tits and champagne. Yes, the Nazis turned heads, but they did some bad stuff as well. And just like bankers. Just like bankers. Especially the bankers. How's that Na- for a segue? Nazi bankers, get the fuck out. Yeah, that's a bit too much. That's what we call a bridge too far. <laughs> be a Nazi. Be a banker. But a Nazi banker? Hey. <laughs> Come on. Maybe those maybe the, maybe sit this quarter out, Junior. Those are the those are the f- these are the fellas with all the gold, with all the bullion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, big short. Um, yeah. So, it is about the um, it is about the uh, global financial crisis that took place in two thousand eight, uh, and it is basically talking about the uh, the people that were uh, able to see it before it happened, as early as like two thousand and five, and basically mm. bet against it so they could. Uh, 
make some cash off uh, off the stupidity and uh, and arrogance. Well, the stupidity, of yeah, banking. and I was going to say, and the arrogance, just the brazen lack of accountability, mm. as it turns out. Yeah, and there have been, you know, there are, there have been several films that kind of talk about this sort of thing. Um, you know, Margin Call came out before beforehand that um, that was all about um, the GFC, which mm. had a really good cast of like you know Kevin Spacey, Jeremy Irons, uh, Zachary Quinto. It's a good ca- cast. Uh, wasn't absolutely exactly fantastic cast. I suppose the difference with that film, film was that it. Uh, <clears throat> it was an insider's look. Mm. You never saw any characters that weren't sort of part of the problem. Yeah. And it seemed like it was um, all this just happens. Like this this happened and it was the people inside. It was, yeah, the people in that building that were being affected the most in the film's yeah. eyes. It was an isolated sort of... Uh, Incident, whereas uh, the Big Short sort of takes a far more holistic uh, view of uh, you know everything that went down. I suppose. I suppose what I'd ask is that almost ten years after it happened, why? Why now? Why make this movie now? Is it sort of like um, closing the door? after the horse has bolted sort of thing to, to make a, a diatribe about this. It's like when Paul Greengrass made green zone with Matt Damon in like 2007, you know, a solid half a decade after everyone had already realized that, you know, WMD in Iraq was bullshit. Mm. Well, I think there's always been, I guess it's um, like a social catharsis. Mm. Um, that um, Hollywood seems to tap into at certain points in time. Um, you know, they did it, they, well, at least they tried to do it with a lot of Vietnam stuff, um, <clears throat> a lot of wartime stuff they try and tap into. Um, you know, um, the most recent, uh, you know, Zero Dark Thirty tried to do something similar as well, um, you know, about um, the death of Osama. Bin Laden, mm-hmm. um, which alleged was death. what that was about. What was alleged death? <laughs> I don't know, man. There's people out there that say he's living in Barbados and he's doing it fine. So, I mean, he's got these. He's, got, he's hooked up to that machine. He's doing a okay. Look, you know, whatever you want to say about him, I'm sure he was very nice to his three wives. And he's right there with the disembodied head of Walt Disney. <laughs> Well, hey, they both aren't terribly big fans of Jews, so I imagine they get along famously. <laughs> along with the Nazi bankers. Hey. hey! Oh, good grief. Yeah, so, and this is, so Big Short, um, you know, even you've got like Wolf of Wall Street, which is kind of, um, you know, still about the, the greed of man and all of that. Um, like, that's still a film, like you would call it a film film, mm. um, whereas Big Short is kind of a, um, like the way that it's filmed, um, the way that the story is all set out, it's kind of the mix between a feature film and a documentary. Yeah, it is sort of like it's a big budget 
movie, you know, but it's 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 actually far closer in sort of like the shooting style and the construction. It's far more like a sort of an indie film that's masquerading as a, a big budget blockbuster. Mm. Yeah, and pulling it, it off. It's, it's yeah, because it does have you know the cast um, mm. to pull it off. Indeed. And I suppose, like, it's funny when you mentioned before, like, the, the Vietnam movies and things like that, about those movies starting to hold, um, you know, the nation or, you know, people in power accountable for what was generally considered, you know, after the fact to be uh, monstrously bad and poor error of uh, judgment that resulted in the untold death and torment of millions upon millions of people around the world. It was um, Oliver Stone, really, that uh, was one of the first guys um, to sort of pierce the illusion of uh, American supremacy in the theatre of war, Mm. in filmmaking. Because previously you'd seen, um, you know, movies that basically glorified the American position that you know, always took the the honourable and, and righteous stance, and you even see it in his own work. I mean, he won the Oscar for screenwriting for Patton mm. with uh, George C. Scott. Yeah, yeah. You know, way, way back when. And then he did Vietnam and then came back and he did that, you know, uh, you know, he did Platoon, he did Born on the Fourth of July and things like that and started to try and, you know, pierce the veil of um, this sense of uh, American righteousness and exceptionalism. And the reason I raise that is because I sense a lot of, like, early angry Oliver Stone in the filmmaking style of uh, Adam McKay in this one. Yeah. And yet it doesn't have, like, you know, uh, young Oliver Stone was also, like, Wall Street, uh, Mm. which kind of popularized a cool sort of uh wall street look whereas beforehand it was very um schmucky you know it was ill-fitting suits and all of that and wall street kind of made it all very glitz and glamour and um ostentatious yeah which I kind think he of said that that was one of his biggest regrets yeah that it all that he that, that. He, that he that he made a movie to indict wall street and ended up making a movie that inspired a generation yeah. Of, of, you know, men and women to get, well, men mostly, to Mainly. get into this industry, the the American psychos, essentially. Yeah, and it of, does. Of Bret Easton Ellis Noble. Yeah. Of the and same it, name. It base, yeah, it does, it does kind of show like, yeah, it started to get to that point and then it kind of flows through to, you know, this film and the the acts that took place in, in 08. You know, this... <laughs> Oliver Stone, um, as much as McKay kind of um, emulates in a way him, he also does it in a way. He also does what Stone did in Wall Street far better, because he doesn't. Mm. He doesn't make things uh, pretty. He doesn't uh, make it glamorous or uh, something that you want to be part of. Yeah, uh, which is and- exactly what I was thinking. You know, it doesn't glamorize it which when we were talking about Wolf of Wall Street was one of its main criticisms that 
yes, it was meant to be an indictment of um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character in uh, that movie. But a lot of people argued, and you know, not without cause, I'd say, that it was actually three hours of basically hero worship of this guy that was audacious enough to uh, take the system and take it for everything, you know, it could get. And you're just like, after like the fifth orgy scene, you kind of like ask yourself, all right, this is moving from uh, a documentation of what life was like into a glamorization of Mm. this life that we're meant to find repugnant. Yeah, you come out of it thinking, you know, oh shit, they were able to get like the last lewds as opposed to, oh shit, they really, like this guy really fucked everyone over and he like, oh, and he got like a slap on the wrist. Like when you look at it, you know, in the, this grand scheme of things, he's doing okay. That's not to take anything away from, you know, like how good that movie was, but when the most celebrated scene in, you know, that movie is a physical comedy scene of a guy so smacked on lewds that he can't walk Mm. as opposed to any scene about like the indictment of the uh, industry that he's a part of. You're kind of like, well, did, did they, did they miss the point of the message? Yeah. Or is, yeah. Is that just the, the better story? Or is this? Yeah. Or is the, is the faults on us? That we take as the it. viewer, that that's the the stimuli and that's the 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 thing that we kind of responded to the most. You know, the 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 glitz and the glam and the the base, you know, sort of primal reptilian, you know, facets of that movie, as opposed to the intellectual. Yeah, as opposed, you know, yeah, uh, in the same way that Wall Street was, um, you know, was like was like that we saw um the the you know greed for lack of a better word is good we didn't see that mm. as a you know a villain's cry we saw that as the hero's mantra that we took when we it's a ran call to arms yeah yeah and it was just, yeah so i guess uh we do have uh, a part to play in this and it's something that uh mckay could have easily gone down with as well you know, with mm. with his cast being so like very likable, um, it could have gone the same way, and yet he's he's made it so even. Um, you know, even the most jovial times where you see um, our heroes winning, um, they always do remind you that, like, no, this is you know, even when they win, we lose. Yeah, you know, everyone lost, and he does it in that kind of. Um... <clears throat> sort of, uh, I mean, he's not he's not as preachy as Oliver Stone sort of, um, you know, was back no. back in his, back in his back in his heyday. But he does he does hold you like properly accountable, and for every moment of victory, you know, that you see these well, you know, victory, you know, being the operative word, I suppose, in this story. So you know, I mean, every time you see these guys unravel the mystery a little bit more and discover how they can make more money out of the greed and, you know, deception of these people. You think like, like primarily you sort of think, all right, yeah, they've, they've won, but 
he'll pull you up on that immediately and do these like, you know, almost psychedelic, like uh, subliminal smash cuts of, you know, stock footage of, you know, people living on the streets, people getting evicted from houses, people, you know, dying in poverty and things like that. And it brings you back down to earth in this uh, very strong way. And so it's it, it it's a it's a controlling aspect because it, and it's funny and maybe that's why now that I think of it why it, you know it had to come now this far down the track because now we have perspective mm. on yeah. the tragedy that resulted from that yeah and yeah we're still feeling the effects of it but we also understand why it like you know why it happened and how it happened mm. sort of thing. Um, and this and this also does help. This film does help in small ways to uh, let people know that you no, know, this is act, this is what happened, guys. You know, we and they use you know they use the use of um, you know Margot Robbie and uh, Selena Gomez and Anthony Bourdain in order to ex- uh, help explain it to the audience um, mm. and also to take it. Um, I guess to put a halt to any sort of um, hero worship that you may do um, within this film, they, yeah. they it's almost um, Brechtian in the way that they it um, you know McKay stops the film and breaks it just to tell you, look, you know, this is this is a film, um, it's about the real world, and this is what happened. Um, there was a there was a material and human cost involved in what these people did. Mm. Do you feel bad about it again? Good. All right. Now we can continue. Yeah. And you even know, just it's, like it's yeah the the um you know the just the simple things of um you know when they talk about oh yeah and that guy's Monet you know he was they they found him crying um, whilst hugging his Monet painting. You know, it's just those little asides that it's like oh yeah there's a there's there is a cost to this and it's this isn't just a fun happy uh, romp. Um, as much fun as you'll have in this film, which it is, you know, it's, it is an enjoyable film. It it's is still not... enjoyable because, I mean, you know, if there's if there's one thing we we do enjoy, it's looking at it's looking at people finding hacks, mm. basically, you know, thinking out you know ways to beat the system. Yeah, being the underdogs. Yeah, yeah I mean, you see, you see it in life. All the time, you know, on like game shows, even like Price is Right or, you know, Wheel of Fortune or things like that. People that have just watched those tapes for hours upon hours and have found the patterns and they go in and they kick ass. And we worship those guys as heroes because they, because they fucked the system. Yeah. And yet at the same time, we have to be held accountable for, for that feeling of, uh, you know, goodness because these people are doing the exact same thing. Yeah. But, but it's But it's not good. And it is interesting that, I mean, if you really sort of, you know, want to, I mean, kind of think about it, there's no real heroes per se. No, in the in this film, in the traditional sense, I mean, look, like we've got these guys. You know, there are protagonists, and you know, some are more morally centered than others. Yeah, but they're still exploiting the misery and misfortune of 
millions upon millions of people for personal gain. Yeah, every yeah. So it's yes. You know, Steve Carell's character is you know he's he has righteous anger uh, that people are being fucked over, um, but he's going to be benefiting off you know sticking it to you know the big banks, you know, and their arrogance. He's not going to be saving anyone. He's going to be profiting off it. Mm. You know, even uh, you know Brad Pitt's character, he's like supposed to be the um, you know, the survivalist sort of like no hope in humanity. Uh, the hippie outlier, yeah. yeah who's, who reminds, uh, you know, the who reminds the, the two the youngest um, main characters in this that, you know, you're betting against uh, the American economy, you're, you're ruining lives. Um, but at the same time, he's opted into this. He's, mm. and he's going, he's going along with it and it's not, you know, he's still got blood on his hands because he yeah. hasn't tried to stop it. He's once again profiting off it, um, taking advantage of a situation that he's seen that we haven't. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, uh, if you reluctantly murder someone, still a murder. Absolutely, yeah. You, can't. you know, and I mean, so I mean, like you know, for these guys all to you know make these enormous paydays after the fact you know, and then feel really bad about mm. how they made these enormous paydays. That that's that's not that's not an out. That's not a that's not a moral and ethical, you know, get out of jail card. That you yeah. feel bad for it afterwards. It's not a redeeming feature. And I think that's that's kind of like one of the things I really like about this movie. Yeah. And it's really the like I guess the 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 person who kind of um, doesn't have that and he's fully in you now he knows exactly how bad this is uh, but this is the character who he is 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 Ryan Gosling you know our narrator Ryan Gosling's uh, mm. character who who gets into this and he want you know he's in the bank and he knows what's going on and he wants to just make a lot of fucking money yeah um, he but he doesn't he doesn't have that um, altruism that the other characters uh seem to have yeah um, he just does I mean, it so, because he sees the opportunity yeah so i mean like the character he plays jared vennett i mean i suppose you could argue in a certain sense that he is um in a certain sense the purest character in the movie because he doesn't hide behind you know platitudes about how this is bad and this is you know terrible and what we're doing is wrong i mean you know there's a, there's a purity to his motivation and you know stance where he says, "Look, this is bad, and I will exploit this to its fullest, yeah, for personal gain." And I I don't feel remorse about that. Yeah, people. I mean, I, I, people I guess in the sense, yeah, I suppose in the sense like he's meant to he's meant to represent as a as a singular character the the hearts or the motivations of the, you know, and we're going into, you know, sticky territory here to suggest the corporations have souls, which has been, you know. They're classified as people in some places. Well, they are now in America. That was, mm-hmm. that was a big thing that, you yeah. know, corporate for the longest time, corporations weren't allowed to make, uh, you know, political donations. Yeah. And now they can because someone said, well, corporations are people, aren't they? They have more oh, rights than I many just, women. 
Oh man, yeah, that's it's such a slippery slope. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, it's really bad. And I mean, we're, we'll we'll see we'll see dividends in a few years. I think of of the same thing happening again, as the movie points out. Just last year in 2015, they were you know banks were starting to trade you know in bespoke tranche opportunities, which is basically just another variation on the 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 CDOs that uh, they were trading in before the subprime mortgage crisis that caused the whole problem in the first place. Yeah. And it was you know and that's you know because no one really went to jail for any of this. No one mm. really was held accountable for it. Yeah. Uh, so everyone's just going to fall back into place. Yeah. Because I mean at the yeah because I just don't I don't think people understand. No. And films like this do help. Yeah, they they help, but they they also don't in a certain sense. If um, if I can try and be clear on this, uh, make my make my own opinion a bit more transparent. I mean, the thing is, like, I mean, this movie it takes it takes on the uh, appearance of a film designed for the layperson. Mm. You get the pedigree of Adam McKay. This is the guy that did Anchorman and, you know, Step Brothers and, you know, all these broadly, you know, yeah, broadly humorous and crowd-pleasing movies. And he does a film that he's obviously wanted to do for a long time because if you read um, the press about it, he wanted to do this movie and the studios made him do Anchorman 2. Hmm. They said, if you do that, we will let you do this, which, and this is a story for another time, but it kind of explains why Anchorman 2 was pretty awful. Yeah. It was, it, it, felt, was a... it felt, it felt rushed. It felt like the work of a guy that couldn't wait to go and work on his Oscar movie. Hmm. Yeah. Whereas this film does feel, feel, uh, loved. Oh yes. There's, there's so much art. There's so much no intention and effort. I mean, it's it's so intricate and it is a beautifully shot film. It's it's absolutely beautifully done and it's probably out of all the Oscar nom- nominated films of, uh, you know, this recent cycle, it's probably my favourite. I mean, yeah. I, do, I, I do agree in a certain extent that, you know, Spotlight should have won, but in terms of just something that like viscerally I just enjoyed more than anything else, it was this movie but that's what i kind of wanted to ask is that when you see um a movie like this and the idea that things about like complex financial machinations you know consumers will just run for the hills Mm. because it's dense yeah it's dense as fuck and like how how should we know like what this means and so mckay you know, as you said, he does the conceit of breaking the fourth wall and bringing these celebrities in to explain the situation. But I can't help but wonder if it's actually just an enormous kind of meta allegory for how the financial industry viewed the layperson as well, where if, you know, you throw enough, you know, big words and, you know, glitz and glam and everything like that. If you distract people, you know, mm. look at the shiny thing, look at the shiny thing. You're a magpie. He's a bauble and everything like that. 
you know, and people will believe that you've explained the thing to them, even though you technically haven't. Yeah. It instills so, that trust in you that allows yeah. the, allows the audience to keep going with the film and not get um, caught up. Yeah. In the, and I mean, in the minutia of it all. Mm. And so you see these scenes with Margot Robbie and, you know, naked Margot Robbie in a hot tub drinking champagne or, you know, Anthony Bourdain in his kitchen or, you know, Selena Gomez being young and cute and, you know, everything like that. These are, these are comfort images. Mm. These are, these are very comforting, you know, uh, things to look at because you can take those at face value. And so when they explain and they use these, they use these very lovely metaphors to explain the various, um, you know, aspects of the movie. So, when they talk about subprime mortgages, when they, you know, uh, when Bourdain talks about, you know, weighing down. Yeah, creating um, the CDOs you know, and. These, and... C- these CDOs with, you know, uh, trashy bonds or when Selena Gomez talks about, you know, synthetic. Uh, synthetic CDOs, yeah. Synthetic CDOs and everything like that. Are they Are they really pulling the curtain away? And, or or are they just are they just kind of saying the exact same thing a, a banker would say in a documentary, but because they're pretty, you yeah, know, or famous? I guess because of a lot of this stuff in the financial sector, it does have a lot of baggage attached to basically any buzzword that you have um so the explanations that all of these asides have they're kind of shorthand so Mm. it is enough information so you understand the general um idea of it but it it's it doesn't mean that you can go off and and you know exactly you have all the power uh now no there's still an air of uh, uncertainty um, in your knowledge base with these things. Because though, you know, in watching this film, uh, I understand everything that they're talking about and I'm, and I'm still invested into it. Like, okay, cool. No, I understand, you know, you, you know, you take the bad fish and you put it in a stew and then it's a, it's a good stew. And so that's the same way that, you know, you know, uh, subprime loans get all grouped together and they become, you know, a B um, thing to the AAA standard uh, bonds. So, you know, I understand that and I can keep going with the film uh, instead of being caught up in uh, an information overload. Um, Mm. You know, it's... uh, McKay gives you enough so that you're comfortable Whereas um, there are there are other directors that uh, don't really care if you understand, um, you know, the sciences or not. I believe Interstellar kind of did did the sort of thing where it just gave you um, too much information and kind of confused you enough to be like, okay, no, I understand that you people are um, you know experts in this. I'll go along with it. Whereas McKay gives you enough information so that you feel comfortable in, in keeping going with this so that you um, understand um, all 
of the um, the machinations of each character. Yeah. I mean, if we go back to Wolf of Wall Street for a second, you have that moment where, uh, you know, DiCaprio, again, does does the fourth wall break, and, you know, as he, as he does throughout the movie, and turns to explain how he does everything, and then he stops himself and he says, you don't really give a shit, do you? Mm-hmm. You don't care about the the buzzwords and the you know the the technical aspects of it you just care that i made more money than god and you know what car will you see me in next and it's interesting to watch that you know uh sort of progression from um that sort of way of addressing the the jargon and technical aspects of 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 that industry in that movie and then looking at it in this and it's it's not that far. It's not that far advanced. It's still babying you, but it's it is progress of a kind. Yeah, it understands that you do need you do require something. Mm. You know, saying oh, this is you know you don't need to know you don't really want to to be like you know you're basically being conned into the fact. Scorsese is basically saying, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to tell you these things. I don't want to tell you these things because it's not going to add to the to the story for you. Whereas McKay's going, no, I will tell you about these things because it will help you yeah. enjoy this story. Exactly. So yeah, it's a it's a little bit. Um, it's yeah, it's it's a bit of pandering because it allows us to understand a few things, but it's still not telling you whole truths because that would be a boring as fuck film. Yeah. Well, I mean. That's the difference between a movie and a documentary. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if 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 you want, you know, there's many, many movie, there's many, many documentaries out there that uh, you guys can watch that are depressing as fuck about exactly, you know, uh, what went wrong. So, um, you know, have at it there. But I suppose that's the thing. At the end of the day. A movie, especially a, a big budget, you know, movie made by a big studio, it's a product that has to entertain. Yeah, it's you know, it's yeah, it's got to entertain, and it's got to be you know within a certain time frame. And this is actually this is this film is like a longish film as well. It's one hundred and thirty thirty minutes, mm. um, paced well but though. Doesn't overstay its welcome. You yeah. don't feel you don't feel the length. I mean, it's no. funny. I felt how long The Revenant was. Mm. That movie dragged like a motherfucker. Whereas, you know, this is paced incredibly well. Yeah. That was, um, you know, this. I first saw this film when I was on a, you know, international flight, you know, 16 mm-hmm. hours sort of thing. And this was probably like the easiest thing to watch in terms of like um, passing time. It was just like, oh, yeah, I'm sitting in my chair and all of that. And it's like, this is a real joy to watch, um, mm. you know, this whole time. Uh, so there's a, a little little tip for you, uh, you travellers. Get a big shot in you if you want to pass a few hours real quick. Would it still be on planes? Probably not anymore. <laughs> Get it on your laptop so, or something. So there we go. We, 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 just, did, we just did a banking joke, uh, fair listeners. We made a promise... That's not true. (laughs) 
Now here's Scoot McNary to tell you more about the banking sector. Oh, hi, hi, guys. It's it's Scoot here. Nope, let's do that again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scoot, if you're listening, I'm sorry for that terrible impersonation. I know it sounded more like George Lucas, but uh, look, if you do because, want it's to, it's because it's because I love you, and um, if you would like to make an aside for us, uh, please. Touch base. A little, a little pocket recording. Yeah. You know, you, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll throw you in as a tag at the end of the podcast or at the beginning or in the middle. That's the, that's where the money is in the middle. Because <laughs> you already got people in the middle. Yeah. And they want to find out what happens next. So they'll endure a 30-second tag from Scoot McNary if it means they get to find out what we're going to talk about next because apparently people are desperate to know what we're going to talk about next. It's it's basically the ending of our podcasts are a mystery box and everyone wants to know what's inside that box. The box. The box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You were um, talking before this recording started about um, – the uh, sort of interesting uh, aspect of the the casting of this movie and uh, how it sort of pertains to certain uh, racial yeah. protestations that came about during the Oscars this year, man. Did you want to yeah, yeah. So, yeah. on that? Yeah, so, you know, during the Oscars and all of that, there's, you know, there's a lot of Oscars so white. You know, that's the, that's the Twitter tag and all of that. Well... This year more so than any, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Ma- many many years recently, purely because twenty acting nominations. It's it doesn't and take not a, lot. And, and not a single person of color there. Mm. And it, yeah, and it is a big problem uh, with Hollywood right now. Um, mm. You know, not only bringing in uh, people of of color, but giving uh, you know more visibility. Uh, to to them and minorities and women, there's there's a lot mm. that uh, needs to be done, and Hollywood needs to um, stop fucking around and uh, it and, is a, yeah and start understanding. It is an that interesting, you know, there's you know, money in in inclusion. Yeah, it is. It is an issue that's kind of interesting because, I mean. You know, the, the, the question of, you know, the Oscars being racist, I kind of thought was a bit of a, a non-point and people kind of, you know, criticised them. But you saw actors like uh, Michael Caine and Charlotte Rampling, you know, acclaimed, you know, Oscar winning and Oscar nominated, you know, performers basically sort of kind of like poking their heads around the door and saying, eh, look, Haters be hating, but you know that there is a possibility that the reason no black actors were nominated this year was because there were no black performances that were good enough. And people shot them out of the sky for that. But I think like if it was it was if it might have been phrased poorly, that sentiment, but I think what they were actually getting at, if not intentionally, was the fact that it's not an issue of the Oscars. It's as you say, an issue of the industry itself 
that mm. if the percentage of, you know, prestige performances that uh, involve people of colour is only a facile percentage of what those of, you know, white performance are, then the opportunity to do good work is so much less. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, um, you know, and, you know, uh, you know, the Oscars did have their part to play. The fact, you know, they uh, nominated uh, Sylvester Stallone uh, as supporting as supporting uh, supporting actor in, in Creed, uh, mm. which I believe um, uh, there should have been a lot more nominations for Creed. Uh, yeah. That film was great. And, you know, that's not to diminish uh, Sly's uh, role, but, um, you know, as we did say, um, there was a lot more going on in that film than just him. He did kind of take a, away a lot of stuff um, that could have been quite enjoyable mm. um, if it weren't for his inclusion. Um, but, yeah, so, but, yeah, the, the, um, the people don't see money in, in putting, you know, people of colour and minorities into, into films. You know, you can't, you can't um, have too many women in Marvel films because their toys won't sell. You know, this is the sort of mentality that um, well, you that saw the it industry in Star has. Wars. Yeah, you saw it in the most recent Star Wars. People got Daisy mad. Ridley. You know, Ray. She was the main character. No fucking toys for her because no. what self-respecting ten-year-old would play with a toy that had you know tits? It's just I don't yeah. Because yeah. I mean, it's and it's it's kind of this thing when people talk about like you know how prejudice isn't born with your you know it's learned and introduced to you over time. I mean, I mean, this is kind of like you know going down a whole bumpy road of you know ways in which people could disagree with me on this. But if you you know have a, a an entire industry of merchandisation that basically prohibits the presence of, you know, strong female characters, then you are basically sublimally introducing into, you know, this massive fucking audience that you've got that there's no such thing as a strong female, you know, character. Or a third or a three-dimensional female character. Exactly. Yeah, and it's um you know, they're in you know, in big short very few, you know, female female characters in this. Um, mm. Well, if they if they were there, they were peripheral characters. They were wives. They were girlfriends. They were paramours. They were strippers or prostitutes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was that was that. There, you know, there were no very few people of color. I can't see too many. Mm. Um. I think there was the few. There, you know, there was. I mean, there were there were a few, few but, but they were, much. but they were those, for lack of a better word, part of that uh, the bottom ha- feeder. Yeah, with well, the housing, the group. housing thing in uh, in Florida mm. when they and went down to the, there. You know, the the whole uh, uh, conference in Vegas and things mm. like that. These were guys, you know, that were exploiting the bottom line. Yes, true. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. they weren't really shown, but um, yeah, the the point it was is like this film actually um, 
worked it out that this, you know, if you had, if you uh, uh, gender swapped or, or race swapped uh, characters in this, you would be doing it a disservice because it was uh, the entitled uh, white men of the world that did this. Mm. They, you know, you know, we've we've spoken that um, our protagonists are not the heroes of this. They still took advantage of us all um, and the situation, um, and they are the people who who did us wrong. They should be the ones that we see doing wrong, and we should start understanding that this is the uh, a common characteristic that uh, that comes into play. You know, this is this is what. Um, you know, and you and I are both uh, white men. Um, and w- I'm very happy to be. You know, yeah, it, you know, it comes with a lot I of... I love uh, it. comes with a lot, Look, of, uh, a lot of good, you know, being the, the most uh, powerful demographic in the, in the world. Yeah, you know, I mean... We take, it, we take it for granted and all of that, but it's, you know, it's, we need to understand that, yes, these, these are the kind of people that do this sort of wrong. This is the sort of people, you know, we have to start, pro- I guess, yeah, we should start profiling that these are the people who do this sort of ill in the world. Yeah. And um, and this is the one time where having um, a film an so absence, wide. An absence of, uh, you know, actors of colour. Diversity, color. yeah, that actually uh, helps it. Mm. Because you see what an exclusive group it actually is. Mm. And it would, you know, it would just as easily be um, easier to see, you know, these characters as villains if one of them wasn't um, wasn't white. Yeah, but you see, you know, it's a thing of um, kind of almost first world problems, and this is not to denigrate, um, you know, oh god, I'm I'm going to go down a slippery slope here, but I mean, look, suicide is bad. It is it is a mental epidemic mm-hmm. that is fueling our nation in particular, as well as you know many others around the world and everything like that. But it's it's it, it almost it struck me as contrived. Um, yes, to have um, Steve Carell's character, you know, Mark Bohm, um, you know, one of the one of the main guys, you know, just you know. Has this, you know, it the movie introduces him as this guy who has this like rage fueled moral compass of righteousness, and you know, but he still like just guns it and you know, leaps you know, headfirst into this mire to um basically stick it to the man, but sticking it to the man you know, resulted in, as the movie says at the end, the loss of $5 trillion in property and stocks and 401k and savings and 7 million people lost their jobs and 6 million people lost their homes and, oh, boo-hoo, your brother killed yourself but you also made two hundred million dollars. Yeah, um, and a lot more people killed themselves because of what you're sticking it to the man actually did. Yeah, it's 
and it's you know it's there the characters in action um that it, they're still doing you know uh you know there are no good men when you know evil um, evil wins when good men do nothing Mm. And yeah, if these are all good men, they did. Um, they, well, they didn't just do nothing. They um, they, they, went, they went the other way. They went the other way. Um, and no matter the um, excuse that is uh, that is used by these uh, these characters, and these are you know these are based upon uh, real people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know you know take everything that um, they did with grains of salt because you know that's not even the real names of a lot of the people that were in that. No, um, well, I mean, um, you know, uh, Steve Carell's character Mark Bohm was based on a guy called Steve Eisman, and his hedge fund, you know, font, uh, front cap, uh, sorry, front point capital was based on front point partners. I mean, Ryan Gosling's character Jared Venet was based on uh, Greg Lipman, who worked for Deutsche Bank. Mm. I mean, Brad Pitt's character Ben Rickett was based on Ben Hockett, who previously worked at J.P. Morgan Chase in Singapore. You know, John uh, Magaro as Charlie Geller mm. and uh, Finn Wittrock as uh, Jamie Shipley, you know, as the, the guys of that guys. Uh, garage yeah, yeah. hedge fund, Brownfield Capital, which is based on uh, Cornwall Capital. They were both based on, you know, real guys. Yeah. I mean, the only guy that actually uh, in this movie that uh, is the name of the guy that he actually was was uh, Christian Bale as uh, Michael Burry. Yeah. MD. Yeah. Neurologist turned hedge fund manager. Yeah, it's you know, and I mean, I, I, it's funny. We've we've talked we've we've spoken a lot about you know the the sociological and political sort of uh, aspects of this film, which because there's there's a lot to mine, and I suppose we haven't really you know delved into the the acting so much. But I guess at the same, or you know, or even I mean, talked a bit about the artistry of the film, but I mean. It's kind of interesting that, like, you almost don't feel the need to. No. Because because with a cast that strong and, you know, Christian Bale especially playing an incredibly uh, subtle and underhanded character, you know, compared to the usual sort of overt, you know, parts he usually plays, this guy is very... Very subtle, very quiet, very very under the board, and everything like that. Um, yeah, you almost don't feel the need to actually comment on it because uh, you just you just know the cast is going to do the job. Yeah, they and you know they do it, and ev- everyone in that in the film brings their A game. Uh, Adam McKay does have a really good um, directing style that he is able to um, have everyone bring their A game, um, even the small. The small parts. Um, mm. I think. I think um, from what we see in his previous films and all that, he does have a very good um, way of working with everyone, um, and it's a yeah. good. And I mean, um, it's a good atmosphere. He's, yeah, and he's he's good at scoring prestige players for things that you wouldn't, you know, for parts or for characters that you wouldn't have thought them, you know, really either capable for or up for. I mean, you look at, um, you know, Melissa Leo playing um, that, you know, character in uh, uh, for Standards and Pause, the uh, credit rating company, mm. you know, and um, 
I read that it was her idea for her character to be blind. Ah, oh, gotcha. As this rather lovely fitting metaphor. Yeah, yeah. For the course, for, for the yeah. blind for, for the, the for the blindness of the industry, you know, that uh, was basically facilitating mm. all this stuff going down. But you know, she someone of her caliber, you know, one of the best actresses working today. Yeah, it's very small. In 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 what? One and a half scenes, let's say. Yeah, it was barely anything, and really, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe maybe five minutes of screen time or something like that. Mm. But you see um, that sort of um, casting acumen, kind of all the way back. I mean, you look at uh, a movie like Step Brothers, that uh, you know has. Richard Jenkins and Mary Steenburgen. Yeah, perfect casting. As, as, as the parents. I mean, like, you know, yeah. those, those, those guys are living legends and they're basically in a, they're mo- a movie that's hell. just about, like, just tits and ass and swears and the most yeah. puerile, you know, childish comedy of all time. And these guys just bring the game no matter what. Mm. And yeah, I mean, McKay he, he, is he able know, to bring it out of them yeah. so that everyone, everyone on set is, is doing exactly what they need to do. Damn well enjoying it, you know, and, mm. and they are able to uh, play around uh, with their characters. Uh, Absolutely. So they're able to, to do it because even if these people are based on real people, um, there is still the artistic license that gets to uh, gets to be used in this. I suppose I'm kind of just curious as to um, what he's going to do next, really. Because yeah. the last movie, you know, he directed was Anchorman 2. Mm. And before that, it was The Other Guys. Yep. In... 2010 and then before that it was Step Brothers in 2008. So he he's not churning them out. No. He's, you know? He does take, yeah, he takes on far much more, um, you know, producer roles and all of that than, than yeah, anything I mean, else. Yeah, I mean, you can see that in so many other movies. Um, you know. Uh, well, I was surprised when you said that uh, Ant-Man, he actually had a hand in in the writing. Yes, well, after um, Edgar Wright departed for, quote-unquote, the classic creative differences, (laughs) um, he was brought on board to basically polish the script into a more, I mean, look, I don't want to say homogenised. That's a little cruel, I think. But... um, and then I just thought passive, which is even worse. So I'm not sure, like, you know what? I think I, 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 I suppose like, I guess what I'd say. He was there to tone the eccentricity down mm. of what an Edgar Wright movie would have been. Because people forget that uh, Edgar Wright had been trying to make an Ant-Man movie since 2006. That's crazy. Didn't know it was be- that for that be- long. Before, yeah. before Iron Man. Mm-hmm. He'd been trying to make an Ant Man movie. That must have really and then, hurt and, him. And then once Ant, and then once Marvel, like you know, 
took off and went, you know, into the stratosphere, Marvel finally said, all right, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll give you a shot. Mm. But the problem with that is, is that they now had this established universe. And, if you, look at all, and, you, and if you look at all the Marvel movies, if there's one thing that they're not known for, it's eccentric camera work. Mm-hmm. You look at all of their movies, no matter what the director is, there's a very specific style of filming, which is keep it basic. Yeah. This... Keep, it, keep, keep it crisp, steady cam that shit. We want two shots of major actors. We want mid shots of lots of actors together. You know, it's all very classically composed cinema. And the style of shooting that Edgar Wright would have done, I think, would have just been too narratively dissonant from the style of every other Marvel movie that had come along. And they also had their very sort of um, standardised notion of comedy and drama and everything like that. And I think, like, his script would have just been too quirky. Yeah. So, yeah, they brought on McKay to uh, tune the... uh, script up and uh a lot of people said that uh he might have uh directed her excuse me directed it as well Mm. but uh you know in the end it was uh directed by peyton reed who you know you kind of wouldn't have thought that because i mean i liked ant-man no i liked it as well yeah Otherwise I thought it was. I, I thought it was a nice sort of soft. Well, it was basically d- doing an, an an original Iron Man again. Yeah, but it was it was kind of like a non-essential jaunt almost. Mm. I mean, it was required in terms of like introducing the character into the into the uh, MCU. But apart from that, I mean, it just kind of had fun with it. Yeah, and I mean, but but I mean, like just the director, Peyton Reed. He directed three movies before that bring it on oh wow the breakup and yes man wow that's and you kind of just i mean like interesting choice i I mean marvel marvel are incredibly curious in that they pick the strangest Mm. directors to 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 helm to helm their movies and they, they haven't really had a dud yet. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the I mean, the weakest I mean, one the, was probably the, the, Thor 2. I was going to say exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but even that is kind of, well, yeah, a bad, you know, uh, um, you know, a Marvel film is like pizza. Even if it's bad, it's still good. It's still pizza. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say a bad Marvel film, the worst Marvel film is still better than mm. the best DC Universe film. Prove us wrong, WB. Prove us wrong. Shots fired. Well, we'll see what happens yeah. with uh, Suicide Squad in August. Yeah, but it's – um, I think we're kind of uh, – because we do sort of round back to a lot of the stuff with, um, you know, I guess the Disney – 
um, empire. Um, if McKay, well, it's so was to it's, do- it's so all consuming now. Yeah, it's kind of hard not to touch on them whenever we talk about something because they're everywhere, man. And they pick yeah, and they'll pick up people. You know, they they picked up uh, Ryan Coogler. Um, for Black Panther, you know, and that was like around yeah. the time that we started talking about uh, Creed, you know, and then yeah. some. And uh, they ju- they just confirmed the other day that Michael B. Jordan is definitely definitely in Black in Panther. A- Fantastic. Yep, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and so, but which like- is kind of which is kind of exciting. I'm excited. That is a mainstream blockbuster superhero movie, being written and directed by a man of color. Starring a man of color, co-starring a man of color, with a lot of like, like that from what we're getting from like the casting, um, the casting choices, like there is a lot of yeah. of people of color I mean, in that who, film. Who, who would have thought that superhero films would be the ones to open to, it up to be the to, to, to be the trendsetters for social progression in in casting in movies because you know before before Katniss Everdeen there was Black Widow yeah it all starts and now at- we're and and yeah and now we're seeing you know we're we're going to i mean like there's been whispers of a a Black Widow movie for well as many years as Scarlett Johansson has been playing Black Widow. Mm. But um, at the same time, you know, we're now, you know, starting to see them, you know, move beyond that. And, uh, you know, there's whispers of, you know, Captain Marvel. Yep. Uh, with uh, Brie Larson and is, uh, is, is looking Larson, good for that who, uh, role. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, I couldn't think of someone better. Yeah, like you could do that. like a Katie Sackoff, but she's not really um, of the, the right calibre. Um, mm. You know, if they were going to do a Captain Marvel I, on the TV, uh, then, then she would be perfect for it because that's just mm. what, she's, uh, what, she's, what she's good at. Though I hear she's doing, um, she's doing some pretty good stuff in um, that Netflix show uh, Logmire. I've never watched that. Yeah, I've it, yeah, I've never really wanted to. It seemed like a strange version of Justified. So I'll just watch Justified, Justified. or Deadwood, or Which is just, that yeah. other that other TV show that uh, was on FX. I can't remember the name of it. Ran for like four seasons. It was Cowboys and and I had Cole Meany. Oh, and I I'm a big fan it. of Cole. I am a I am a big fan of Cole Meany. Mm. Do you yeah. know? Do you know? Do you know Cole Meany? No, I have no idea who Cole Meany is. He was. <laughs> this is this is going to be like testing the uh, realms of uh, sort of uh, public knowledge. But Cole Meany is probably best known for playing um, Engineer Miles O'Brien on Star Trek: The Next Generation, the TV series. Oh man. And he's he's guested in a bunch of other movies. Oh, actually, no, no, no. You know what? You know what? He was Russell Brand's dad in Get Him to the Greek. Ah, oh. yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, I know who you're talking about now. He was also John Cusack's, um, you know, senior officer in Con Air. Ah, yeah. He's 
he is good. He's not in a lot of things. And Gilson he was, and he, and he was, he was, he was, he was in Layer Cake. Yeah, that was a brilliant film. Hell on Wheels. Hell on that's Wheels. what I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah, it's yeah, about that's the that, that's train the other, track like, things and um, Jim Caviezel yeah, yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, in that there. was a, yeah. Sorry, was Jim Caviezel in that? I have no idea. Jim Caviezel. I thought oh, he was no. in Person of Interest. Yeah, no, I'm thinking of Anson Mount. He's that the main, uh, the main Jonathan, dude of it. Jonathan Nolan film. Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. TV series. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, but what I was getting at before, like um, fitting, like where would you fit Adam McKay um, into um, into the Disney Empire? Um, there's like the two base camps of like Marvel or Star Wars. Um, mm. and I was thinking about like, okay, so he, he was like, I think he can write, um, I think he can write the hell out of anything. Um, and I mm. think he would do an okay Marvel film, but I was thinking that maybe he'd do a lot better in a, in a Star Wars film. Um, I'd be inclined to agree with you. Like a, like a, like a bounty hunter sort of film. Um, about a ragtag well, bunch they, or something. They, they keep saying that they're going to do a Boba Fett spin-off film. Mm. Well, I think that's a that'll it's be a been, lot it's better. It's been rumored. It's it's it. Yeah, it's been hanging in the ether for a, a good long while now. Yeah, I yeah, I so, think that would be a lot better than the uh, the mm. Han Solo film that uh, that is going to inevitably be coming. Although, I mean, if you have to do. Uh, a Han Solo film. I mean, you you could do worse than uh, you know the guys that are actually you know involved in the writing and directing. You know, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Mm. I mean, these yeah. are, these are the guys that did Twenty One Jump Street and Twenty Two Jump Street and the Lego Movie. I mean, these are funny, zany movies that also, you know, have heart, have good action, you know. And so, I mean, like, and with, uh, you know, kind of uh, what they're, what they're rumoured to be uh, talking about in terms of the uh, casting for uh, Han Solo, yeah, they're looking at the uh, the gentleman. I can't remember his name, but it was in Hail Caesar. It was oh gosh, um, Alden Ehrenreich. Yes, I would have never remembered his name to save my life. Mm, yeah, but if he was the best part of Hail Caesar, yeah, I and actually haven't I've, seen I've, that yet. Um, so I'm. It's it's all right. It's, it's not for bad. Current, I mean, you know, film? it's kind of it's kind of it's it's kind of a little bit more sort of um, disassociated in terms of um, how it uh, goes about. Mm. Uh, you know, narratively speaking, like I mean, no, you know, uh, Coen Brother films are never known for you know their straight shot narrative. You know composition but this one's a little bit even more kind of vague than usual but he does a fantastic job playing this you know this action hero that's like stupid but smart at the same time yeah gotcha and he and he has a swagger about it and i mean he's he's proven his his chops in some other movies i mean he uh 
he had a bit part in Woody Allen's Blue Jasmine. I mean, you know, look, daughter raping aside, that was meant to be a good movie. I never saw it, but uh, I've spoken to people who have seen it. But, I mean, far more importantly, if you recall, he was in Park Chan-wook's Stoker. Ah, no way. He was the guy. He was the he was the he was the nice jock. Oh man. He was the nice jock that um, seduced uh, Mia Vazakowska. Oh, that was a fantastic film. I mean, I'm I'm so stoked to see what what that guy does next. Yeah. Oh man. That was... And then he also he also did that um, other movie, uh, Beautiful Creatures. Did you ever hear of that one? Beautiful creatures. It was um, it was a movie directed by uh, Richard La Gravanese. It was based off like a series of uh, novels by the same name. But I mean, I mean that was a movie that had Jeremy Irons, Viola Davis, Emmy Rosam, Emma Thompson. Oh yes, that like, was, was the, an, um, the the witches and yeah, New which Orleans is like you know southern. Of, yeah. um, you know, New Orleans type stuff. That thing. Yeah, cotton. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly that. I'd never thought of that before. But, um, you know, that was a perfectly adequate, you know, sort of film. And I think that was one of his sort of first forays into sort of mainstream movies. But I'm kind of curious to see, like, you know, if as it seems very likely he is going to be the new new Han Solo. Hmm. I'm kind of I'm kind of keen to see what happens, and I mean, when we talk about uh, as we did the other week, uh, the reshoots for Rogue One, a lot of uh, pundits are basically saying that one of the main reasons they're going to uh, do reshoots is so they can now put him really? into the movie. Ah. I kind of the same way they did. Kind of the same way they did reshoots for uh, Captain America: Civil War and Spider Man to uh, insert Spider Man into the mix yeah, as a okay. teaser for his own mainstream movie. What they're going to do for um, the Han Solo movie is actually give um, give him a little bit of a look in in Rogue One. Not a bad idea. Not a bad mm. idea. So I guess you know, watch this space for that. Absolutely. Something to, mm. something to sink your teeth into. But um, yeah. I guess because we was talking about, uh, you know, we ended up talking about Star Wars and, and all of that and out of space. I don't think we've, we've come to the, uh, a good place um, to wrap it up. Um, and, you know, next film that we're going to be doing is, uh, is Sunshine. Indeed it is. Yeah. I'm very so excited. The, uh, the Danny Ball film with... Uh, Killian Murphy and uh, Chris Evans, Rose, Rose Byrne. Byrne, Mark uh, Strong. Yeah, Mark Strong. Yeah, it's um, a really, really interesting film. Um, there, it was... it's a it's a fascinating uh, study in how to have a movie that somehow has two genres at the same time. Yeah a movie that starts off being this very contemplative, almost spiritual foray into outer space and the nature of uh, human mortality and consciousness. 
and then does a massive fucking right-hand turn into Slasher Horror. Yeah. At the end, and then does a 180 back into a spiritual yeah, yeah. oneness in like the, in the, like the last 30 seconds of the film. It's, it's a fucking amazing movie. It's almost 10 years old, and mm. I have been singing its praises from the get-go. A lot of people don't like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, and next week, yeah, we'll we're be tackling talk about that it. one. Yeah, it is. It is a you know when it came out, it what it didn't really do crazy well. I think it only mm. did like. I don't think people knew million. how to market it. No, it was a well. It always seemed like it was. Um, I think they they shot it as kind of a um, almost like a, a a remake of Event Horizon. Which is a shame yeah. because not to denigrate Event Horizon because that movie I will defend until the day I die <laughs> as one of my favourite out of space movies ever. That is a that is a strange a, a, strange film. Again, with an absolutely kick ass cast. Yeah, absolutely. I want to see Sam Neill uh, as uh, a you know, villain in more lo, things. Lo, you know, Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill, Jason Isaacs. You know. Uh, Sean Pertwee, mm. you know, these guys were great. It's funny. I read an interview with uh, P.T. Anderson once where he basically said, look, you know, the movie as it is is 90 minutes. I have a director's cut somewhere where that movie is north of two hours. Wow. Because they asked me to remove – um violence and gore basically so when you see you know uh, in in that movie the video mm. of you know the the crew members All basically going crazy like, like that's in murder that is... fucking them murder fucking themselves to death which is the only like phrase i can possibly think of to describe that scene he said yeah that used to be a lot longer and way way worse that would be. And he said after the and, and he said it. after the fact that he uh, regretted cutting it down to make the studios happy. Yeah, that's but, uh, that's mm. wow. But uh, we're not doing Event Horizon though. I'm going to be doing Sunshine. No, which I was um, going to say. But uh, for everyone listening, if you've never seen it, Event Horizon. Yeah, give it a watch. Give it, give it a go. Give it an honest go. More importantly, as in for next week, give Sunshine a watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm um, sorry. I should have left with that. I'll do that. I'll do, I'll do that next time. Yeah, watch Sunshine and then watch Event Horizon. But you know, definitely watch Sunshine first. Look, yeah, it's been out for almost. It's been it's been out for a while now. So uh, it should be easy. You to get, know, you know, if you liked, you know, the 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 twenty eight. Um, 28 days later, you know, 28 weeks later sort of films, it kind of was in that sort of time frame for it, the sort of thing. Mm, except in space. Yeah, except in space. So, you know, if you liked that, um, give Sunshine a crack and we'll be talking about that. Do we have anything, like final words about uh, Big Short? I think... Only that I, I guess what I'd wonder is um, long-term how relevant it'll actually be. Mm. 
I mean, you look at, um, you know, especially for a prestige Oscar film like uh, this one has turned out to be. I guess what I want to what I want to see is the fallout from this movie. Yeah, see how it both uh, both 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 uh, socio politically and also um, vocationally. Mm-hmm. I want to see how this affects Adam McKay's career path. Yeah, whether he now segues into more serious fare, or whether he goes back to comedy, or whether he does both, and also whether this movie will be remembered a few years down the track. Yeah, well, I'd certainly like to see more films like this. Mm. It's a very interesting style of film. Um, I don't know. Uh, how well others could uh, pull it off. Um, I don't know whether uh, Adam McKay could pull it off again. Um, he seems very passionate about this uh, this subject matter, um, and maybe it was because of that that he was able to uh, to spin gold uh, from it. But it's certainly um, a refreshing way to look at uh, these sort of things. You know, we see you know as we've said you know. Margin Call told the story, wasn't a very good way of telling it. It was okay, though. Um, Wolf of Wall Street, you know, you know, had the same, had similar themes in it, but um, that took it the wrong way. Wall Street, you know, this is a, um, you know, finance has been an interesting thing that Hollywood's liked, but has never been able to um, tell in a good way, um, at least um, in an interesting way that holds accountability um, because that seems to be the only way where uh, we talk about finance, the finance sector and banking. Um, So I'd like to see more films like this um, in terms of the way they're put together. Mm. Don't know how many I'd like GFC films. It's kind of, it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept because it's so hard to um, have a carbon sort of like cookie cutter villain that you can hold accountable, mm. you know, for this whole thing. Because I think a lot of people, you know, forget this. But um, in terms of like, you know, acts that uh, sort of led to this in the, the first place, it was actually Bill Clinton and uh, his repeal of the uh, Glass-Steagall Act of 1933. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, um, 19, in, in uh, 1999, mm-hmm. his administration repealed the Glass-Steagall Act of 1933, which basically was a regulation of the banking and financial industries and because people have been arguing up. for, you know, the, these people, these people have been arguing for a long time that they, they required more freedom. And in a lot of ways they like, you know, constructed loopholes along the way that basically made the repealing of the act a moot point anyway. But yeah. um, if you look at the, I mean, I suppose if you look at the, I mean, the difference and, you know, Look, viewers, mate, you're going to get a crash course in, um, you know, economic theory here, which maybe isn't what you you came into the the 
the stocks for, but, you know, deal with it. Um, one of the main reasons that Australia remained mostly immune from the uh, fallout of uh, that crisis from 2008, which isn't to say that we didn't have some hard times. For fucking sure, we absolutely did. But we were one of the only major first world countries that actually didn't go into recession is because our banking system is so heavily fucking regulated. And so there is a distinct fucking split between commercial banking and investment banking. So investment bankers in this country can make their bets, they can make their risky things, and if it falls apart, then it falls apart. But it is not going to be at the expense of commercial banking, which is loans and savings and property and things like that. Whereas in America, all that shit is absolutely intertwined. So as the movie pointed out, you can make one, you know, facet of that turn shit. And as a cascade domino effect, it's going to affect everything. Hmm. Well, Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure, but I believe that we shall make ourselves scarce. We've done everything that needs to be done. We've talked about Big Short. We've we talked about Scoop McNary. We've teased the audience on what we're going to do next week. Yeah. The How are thing... we going with the uh, Brendan Fraser podcast? Oh, he is. They're doing real well. Um, I'm real. I'm oh, real happy man. for him. I'm real happy for him. I mean, look, he he needs a break. Yeah. I'm Lord all... knows the mummy. The mummy two was a long time ago. So look, I hear they're I'm, I'm happy it. for any. They are with Tom Cruise. They they had the perfect person right then and there for it. He was waiting in the wings. Mm. He was ready. You know, Russell Crowe is going to be the mummy. Get the fuck out. Seriously. Oh, God. Seriously. Oh, God. But that's what they're doing, man. Universal is doing a holistic monsters universe. Well, they better do... So they're, so they're, so they're doing a remake of The Mummy. Um, they're doing... Uh, King Kong and Godzilla. Oh, that's interesting. As a as a as a fucking versus movie. That'll be a thing. It's gonna it's taking place after Godzilla too, but they're doing an origin movie for uh, King Kong with uh, Tom Hiddleston and I forget some attractive woman, no doubt. <laughs> Brendan Fraser, uh, just bring him in. He's waiting. Just bring him in. He knows the history. He knows how to beat the guy. He's done it two times. He beat Jet Li. He was in George of the Jungle. He knows how to deal with apes as well. Absolutely. This man he is He turns a trees into rubber. Which is a feat that few have been able to master. Yeah. So just think on that, Studio Big Wigs. Well, I hope Think they, on that. I hope... I hope they. Uh, I hope they make Creature of the Black Lagoon. Because mm. Gilman doesn't get enough love. No. Probably because he's called Gilman, and that's not well, a threatening monster name. <laughs> it's not like they don't already have a name for it. It is the Creature of the Black Lagoon. You don't need to call it mm. anything else. But they did. But uh, yeah, they, they they really did. <laughs> but if you want to uh, help us as we're trying to help Brendan Fraser. Uh, get back into mm -hmm. movies. Um, you can uh, 
you can uh, listen to the podcast, pass it along to friends. Uh, I hear people uh, have used this as a way to uh, get to sleep. Our, our dulcet tones help uh, ease them into the land of nod. Mm. So uh, some soothing, some soothing baritone tenors there. Yeah. So if you uh, if you have people that uh, so have trouble close sleeping, your eyes on Hosha by Mountain. I forget the rest, but uh, you're welcome. Put everyone. that on a loop, and uh, you're welcome, everyone. Yeah, but uh, pass it along. You can follow us on all major social media. Pass that shit along on Twitter where you can follow us. You can follow Josh. You can stream our episode from our website. They came from the silverscreen.com. You can view us on iTunes. You can view us on the fucking uh, Android store if you so desire. YouTube bitches, get on that. Mum, I'm on YouTube as well. Please watch me and get the viewership up. It's all there. You can follow Josh on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram if you so desire. It's all there, people. Look, we have built the tools. We're on episode six. It's all up to you now. I'm kind of sick of doing all the work, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> was that too harsh a sell? I think it was. I think it was the right sell. We don't want to. Sh- I think. I we think don't want to it's... sell ourselves short. <laughs> I didn't do that. If anything, I oversold us by a country mile. But you know what? Hey, internet, judge for yourselves. Yeah. Don't believe what I say. Make your own opinions. The world is your oyster. But if Mm. you do uh, decide to give us a rating, make sure it's five stars. That really does. uh, I think it helps us the most in terms of the iTunes uh, rankings. And it's uh, gonna statistically p- speaking, you're probably right. Yeah, it's going to put us up with uh, Brendan Fraser. So if you think we're uh, as good as uh, as as Brendan Fraser, get us up there. If you think we're as good as Brendan Fraser is right now, I disagree. But uh, <laughs> that's this week. Uh, listen to us and, uh, next know, week uh, when we take on uh, Sunshine. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. You should be excited as well. I know I am. Help us out, people. Comment. Tell us, you know, if you want us to discuss a, a specific movie or something like that, we take that shit on board. We actually do, you know? Absolutely. We're open to suggestions. If you want us to talk about certain trivia more, if you want us to have an idea of, uh, you know, things that can make the podcast better, we are open to that. We're still in the formulation stage. This is still, you know, early days. Episode six ain't the be all and end all. I mean, and the bee's knees either, but, you know, we're we're having a crack. We're having a solid crack. And a crack is what we shall be. Mm. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs>